what's intimidating about this is at such a, usually at such a young age in your career, you're making a decision for a future you that you don't know and you will never get to know until you get to that point. And I find that really fascinating. Like how could the 20 something year old Guy Lin understand what would be best for him in 20, 30 years? And quite frankly, there's no way that I could have known that, you know, it's just, you take the best guess you can. And so we're going to continue on with this thought process later on in the episode. This is episode 12. It is a continuation from episode 11 with Dr. Guy Lin, an ENT physician. We're going to actually learn in this episode how he thought about being a sanitation worker initially in his young childhood, but also have deep musings about his intense residency, about his career, and how he believed mentors throughout his career and his education really help to shape who he is and help direct him and how important it could be for you as well. I'm not going to play my usual cool intro like I usually do for most of my episodes. So we just want to dive right into the second half of this interview with Dr. Guy Lin. But before we do that, if you want to get a hold of Dr. Guy Lin um, and you enjoy what you're hearing here, you can email him at glin at entandallergy.com. That's G-L-I-N at E-N-T A-N-D A-L-L-E-R-G-Y dot com. Or you can go to their website where you can see Dr. Lin's bio. That's E-N-T and Allergy Associates or E-N-T and Allergy dot com and just look up Guy Lin. His name is spelled G-U-Y last name Lin L-I-N of course, you can find the transcript of this podcast as well as all other podcasts on my website along with Dr. Lin's email address and his website link. Okay, let's dive into it. Did you always want to become a doctor? <laughs> uh, <laughs> a funny story. You're, you're from uh, Roosevelt Island. And uh, when I was – well, you're, you live in Roosevelt Island. Yes, I and when I was a kid, my earliest memories were from Roosevelt Island because I lived there. That's right. And yeah, that smoke, <laughs> my yeah my bed my bedroom window looked out at the smokestacks in Long Island City, and that's my first memories those smokestacks at night, the, the blinking okay. lights. And uh, yeah, for some reason, I was very fascinated by the sanitation workers that would drive up <laughs> and and. and uh, Apparently, my parents didn't take well to it, but my first ambition was <laughs> to be a garbage man. And, really? Uh, yeah, and then not long after that, uh, from a very early age, I wanted to be a doctor. And I, I can't think why, what formulated that that mindset. I mean, I, I suspect my parents might have had a big influence on that. I'm from an immigrant family, and I feel like that might have been like kind of, you know, the seed pushed into me maybe. But I, Did you know, they mention that, it when you were young? I, to, hey, I, you don't, know. I don't remember it. I, I'll say they didn't discourage it. Let's just say that. <laughs> um, so you were vocal about, hey, you know, I think about becoming a doctor when yeah, when I get yeah. into, uh, when I get older. And you're like in, what what age are we thinking about that you, this idea starts coming oh, about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as early as like maybe 10. Oh, really? 
Yeah, I, I think that it just fascinated me. Biology fascinated me. The human body fascinated me. The, the sort of ability to have a craft and to be a, a sort of a tradesman or tradeswoman and uh, have that. It's, it's like magic, right? Like being able to look at the situation, be able to fix things. That that just fascinated me. And so were you were there other doctors in your family that influenced you? Were there people that you sought out to get advice about what it's like to be a doctor or it was just an idea you had and you just kind of just slowly made your way there? Yeah, that's the weird thing. We we were the nuclear family was just here living in the United States. So outside of the United States, all of our family was uh remote. They lived in Israel, they lived in Israel. Um so no, there wasn't anybody who could serve as a role model or a mentor to say, you know, but I think that my parents had idealized the uh, field of medicine and neither of them were in science or medical professionals. But I think that as a child, I probably latched on to the respect that they had had for, for medicine, for people who practice medicine. Beyond that, I think that the... I'd always independently had a fascination with science, science related uh, things. In fact, computers fascinated me, uh, you know, growing up as well. So anything that was technologic, that was biologic, I mean, it just just fascinated me and it it just kind of suited my interest at that time. You know, outside of doing well in school, was, uh, were there any skills that best prepared you for your current career? I loved sports growing up, and I think that, I mean, in retrospect, I almost wished I'd committed more to sports growing up than I did. I mean, I, I actually hmm. I actually prioritized my academic, uh, my academics were more of a priority than sports, and I think in retrospect, I could have balanced that a, a lot better, but um I think that it really teaches you how to manage your time. Um, I think that it, by being a student and an athlete, you know, it focuses your mind really well. It prepares you for uh, a life of movement. I think that, you know, your whole life is needs to embrace the concept, concept of movement within it. So, you know, you can't just see your life is just this window until a certain point, And then you're not, you've left that all behind. Like if you have a sport that you played, uh, maybe you can't play that sport for the rest of your life, but, right. but you can take facets of what you learned in that movement practice and apply it to other movements. So yeah, to me, you know, a, the, and, and maybe that, that leads to sort of my infatuation with, a surgical subspecialty. I, I really liked not only using my my mind, but I, but also applying it with my hands. Mm-hmm. What sport would you have ex- kind of sought out, or sports would you have, have sought out if you could, you know, go back and do that part again? Yeah, no doubt. I would have been a swimmer. A swimmer. Yeah, I I didn't swim a lot. Um, Informals on a formal swim team. I did it in my summers, 
but mm-hmm. my my daughter now, the older one, is a very serious swimmer, and I, I got to say, it's just beautiful to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's a lifelong sport that never uh, disappears. You can tap into it your entire life. In fact, now yes. whenever I get injured, I always go back into the pool, and I always, to some degree, have uh, you know the water to to help me rehab. And you know, water's always been fundamental to to me. Like you know, what I know you're a big water guy, or maybe mm-hmm. you're not, but I know from growing not up, not big, but I like doing you know, being in water. How could that be? <laughs> you're Hawaiian. <laughs> so you guys have one foot in the water and one foot out of the water. Well, we try, we try. <laughs> yeah. So to, to me, you know, the idea of being to some degree immersed in water. And combining that with a sport, that's ideal. I, I don't care what sport that is. But uh, swimming, you know, it's translatable to so many different things. Love swimming. When did the idea of you wanting to become a surgeon came about? Or was the idea of being an ENT doctor come about first? I didn't think that I was going to be a surgeon when I, uh, when I entered medical school. And then I rotated through different areas and disciplines. And... I actually thought I was more well suited to be in in the uh, internal medicine specialties, maybe oncology, just because mm-hmm. of an interest in in science. And uh, anyway, going through the process, I I realized how much I disliked internal medicine specialties. I mm-hmm. really didn't like, um, you know, just always um, thinking a pro- about a problem, but not but really the limitation in terms of managing things and this over, you know, and that's also, uh, you have so little to craft your idea of what these different disciplines are as you're going through it. But my impression when I was going through it was that, you know, a lot of what I was seeing was the really sick people and we were managing these really sick people with medicines and that really didn't sit well with me. Mm. And on the other extreme, when I was exposed to the surgical uh, realm, I saw this area where discrete problems could be fixed and it felt really gratifying to, to witness that, you know, um, I, to, to some degree, any surgical specialty appealed at that time. But then when I honed in deeper into the kind of lifestyle I wanted to lead and the kind of problems that I wanted to be involved with. And, uh, you know, the, the pathway led in a circuitous route to ENT. I first thought that I wanted to do, uh, neurosurgery. And then I found through just spending time in the specialty, how much I disliked how sick the patients were. Um, and yeah, and you learn, you learn a little bit about what, situations kind of appeal don't appeal and for me I didn't really and and it's ironic because I really fell in love with head and neck surgery and that's what initially drew my interest into ENT but I think in the back of my mind I realized that not all of ENT was patients with head and neck cancers and the sickest of the sick Uh, there was a whole area within the discipline that was um, you know a healthier population and less intense problems and not necessarily just the surgical fix to these problems. Um, what sacrifices 
um, or even obligations did you have to take on to achieve your career goals, if any, that you felt? That's a loaded question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the training was rigorous. The, the, the thing is, you can, I think, to some degree, manage um, things depending on your goals. And I, I, you know, to me, when I think about that question, I think specifically I'm drawn in my memory bank back to the days of my training. To me, that was the biggest sacrifice because it, in those young formative years in your life, personally, I'll say that, you know, I wasn't fully, I think, emotionally developed, physically developed in a way that I felt like I could best handle the the demands. And despite that, I, I think I grew as a result of the training. But I think that, um, yeah, I mean, you, you got to give to get. And um, it, it's an immense obligation in terms of your time. Uh, to me, the hardest thing was the singular pursuit of it. I mean, it, I really didn't have much time to apply myself towards other interests, um, mainly because particularly in the first well, I should say really throughout the training, I was tired all the time. I mean, you don't get a lot of sleep. You're just working all the time and you're working hard and it's, it's a lot, you know, and to be good at that, it demands your full attention. So to me, that was, I think the, this hardest pill to swallow was the, the all in mentality. Like you are fully devoted to this craft and it's going to take every part of your being to learn it well. So you felt that during your training was a much was a took more of your time than even medical school and college? Oh yeah. I mean I will say medical school was one of the greatest times in my life. I mean I had tons of time to pursue outside interests. Uh there was a genuine camaraderie in the process of learning and it was just great. You know, there was particularly in the first two years where I went to school, which was UCSF out in San Francisco. It was like a playground. It was a yeah. pass fail system. Uh, we were, you know, engaged in the outdoors constantly. The setting in which we were studying was magical. Uh, it was by far the best, one of the best times of my life. And then by contrast, I chose to go into a very, very rigorous, and highly demanding um, uh, place for training, which was at UPenn. And uh, at the time, I still think that's the case. They had five hospitals and the call coverage was extremely intense. And the amount of surgical cases you did was extremely high. But, you know, that's... we, we had this joke every morning when we were grounded at an ungodly hour, and we would basically say, one of my uh, senior residents would always look up with bleary eyes, and he'd, he'd kind of have a little smirk, and he said, you know, we all chose this. And it was absolutely <laughs> true. We, we would show up in the morning, we'd be just wrecked from a full day of work and very little rest leading up to that moment, and then we're coming back to do it all over again. And you know, we, we chose to do it. We were getting trained in what we wanted to be trained in. And it was a privilege to have that opportunity. And, you know, if you forgot that for one moment, you'd let the demons, you know, climb into your head. And, and you know, you, you didn't want to have that happen because you had this long-term notion that life was going to get better after you were done with the training. 
and did it? Oh, yeah. Immensely. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's really hard to be a student. Uh, you know, I would say that maybe there's so many things that you're not taught. And interestingly, I think there's a way to be an apprentice, right? Like you can be, I, I wish someone sat me down now with the, I, you know, with what I know now and said, okay, this is the best way to be a student because there's an art form in being a student, right? You are, uh, you're apprenticing under a number of people and you're taking invaluable lessons, whether or not you decide to incorporate them into your practice, you're learning constantly, you're forming your own way of practicing. And I think that's really challenging showing up every single day under someone's thumb, not having any flexibility and really being, you know, and there's also an advantage to that. Uh, and that's what you learn coming out of the apprenticeship stage. You're, you're in it for so long that you sort of forgot the independence. And then when you're independent, it's really scary because you take on the full responsibility. So there's a double-edged sword in that. But to mm -hmm. me, mm -hmm. the process of being an apprentice was very challenging. I, I was sort of yearning to get out there and do things. And that's, a, that's you know, you're never quite ready if you really think about it, right? Because when you're under somebody's tutelage, they take usually full responsibility and finally one day you're responsible so it's a really intimidating moment if you could do it over again with that thought in mind as a student as an apprentice would be there be anything different that you would do yeah i think i i think i would i think there was a lot of room for me in my maturation to soften, you know, I, I had like a harder, I think, personality than I needed to have to weather the training. And I, I think that, what do you mean um, a harder personality? You know, we, we come out of surgical training with this notion that we're, we're kind of going through the crucible, right? We're going through the fire. Yeah. Right. And, um, at the end of the day, the the practice of medicine is a humanistic art form. You know, it's it's an art form of connections. And whether that's with patients or to your mentors or to your fellow colleagues, you know, there's there's this constant need to be empath empathetic. Yeah. And there's a constant need to sort of read a situation. And I think, you know, you come out, at especially if you go straight through the process, you come out with really no life experience. And I don't regret the way I did things. Um, you know, that was my pathway. But if I were to do it all over again, that means that now I have all these life experiences that I have now and I see the world in a very different way. And I think, you know, it's very different to come into the world uh, at an age of, what, 23 when you enter... 24, 25, I don't remember the exact age, but you, you know, your residency? yeah, you're entering your residency is such a, you know, early time in your life, in my life, your life probably too. And now, you know, with the experience of being a father, a husband, having, you know, all this, <laughs> this weather, uh, you know, it, it teaches you things. You're not the same person. Uh, and you know, you never are the same person. You're, you're always moving forward and, 
and, and change it. You know, stagnancy is, is never a good thing in anybody's life. We're, we're always evolving whether we want to or not. So, yeah. And, you know, is that good? Is that bad? I, it's, it's hard for me to imagine going through that kind of training at this point in my life. So on the flip side of it, like to have the sort of mentality, a stoic, a more, you know, that's the best way to phrase it. I wish I was a little bit more stoic at an earlier age. During your training, during your during my training. training. Yeah. And I think that the idea of mindfulness and stoicism, that's something that just was not on my radar at that time. And I think that would have helped me quite a bit. And, you know, now it's hard to imagine being as sleep deprived constantly as I was in those young years. So, you know, there's an advantage of training at a younger age and, Mm -hmm. and there's also an advantage of training at a, uh, at a slightly older age with, you know, a little bit more life experiences, right? So nothing's perfect. Guy, what resources do you recommend students to consider utilizing? It's the human connection, right? In this, day and age where so much is, is digital and, and on a social digital platform, I think it's really important to connect with an individual. And, and it is really important to have mentors, you know, and it doesn't have to be a mentor specifically in what you do. You know, the mentors that crafted my interests were not even necessarily all ear, nose and throat docs. You know, they were people who reflected maybe a certain way of seeing the world that connected with me. Um, and, you know, sometimes nonverbal uh, things are just as important as verbal cues, you know, just being able to relate with an individual, I think is a really key component to deciding if something appeals. So, you know, there's so many ways to go at this, but at the end of the day, What's intimidating about this is at such a, usually at such a young age in your career, you're making a decision for a future you that you don't know and you will never get to know until you get to that point. And I find that really fascinating. Like, how could the 20 something year old Guy Lin understand what would be best for him in 20, 30 years? And quite frankly, there's no way that I could have known that. You know, it's just, you take the best guess you can. And, you know, and I think that the human connection is really important. So I think the bottom line is, I think, do everything you can to learn. And I think what you're doing is great, Rich. I think putting this series of interviews together Thank you. is really nice. Yeah, of course. But I, I think that it's also really important to, to connect and to network and to find people who you can call your mentors because those are ultimately going to be the people that I think define how you're going to see a stretch of a career in front of you. Mm-hmm. And without mentors, I think it's going to be really hard to define a direction or a pathway for yourself. You can't do it alone. You know, having a mentors would be wonderful. Um, and therefore would it have changed uh, how you looked at things if you had those mentors uh, as a ENT, whether they were ENT doctors or holistic uh, physicians? Uh, huge. It would have been, I don't, you know, the thing is that at that time in my life, I wasn't thinking this way at all. I, I wasn't mature enough in terms of the development of how I perceived, uh, you know, I was, 
coming out of training, I was still very reductionist in my thinking. So, mm-hmm. you know, and for me, that was the evolution. I, you know, I wasn't someone who was particularly interested in primary care at all, you know, and that's what's ironic about this whole thing. And now, you know, would I now be interested in primary care? Maybe. I mean, with the right influences, I will say at that phase in my life, when I was rotating through the personalities that engaged me the most, yeah. were surgical personalities or people who even anesthesiologists were, you know, they could really break down their skill sets that really, really spoke to me at the time, you know, and to some people right away, you know, the, the sort of like manual skill sets or this really refined skill set, it, it didn't yeah, appeal to yeah. some people right off the bat. Like they were out, like you could really see people get weeded out by whether or not they wanted to go into internal medicine or something else. And that something else pile, we all were drawn to our specialties for various reasons, right? And, you know, there, there's commonality, I think, in terms of, like, you didn't end up going into a surgical specialty, but you interface with surgeons. Yes. And you are a master of physiology, in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, that, those types of things spoke much I think had I not gone this route I probably would have regretted that and having said that I did very much have mentors who I looked up to who you know gave me the sense that um you know there was like a magic or a wonderment in what they did there was a trauma surgeon at UCSF and he was kind of like this real unique character uh very much like a renaissance man, very mm-hmm. well read. When I came to him for career advice, he recommended that I read um, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I loved I loved that. You know, I loved this sort of like renaissance attitude. Like you're not just this gruff in the muckety muck, you know, fighting in the trauma bay. You know, there's there's a purpose above that and there's reflections above that and you know this head and neck surgeon mark singer who uh was a real expert at um voice preservation surgery he would perform laryngectomies and really like took me under his wing and like you know those were really invaluable experiences they really developed my you know did i end up doing what i thought i was going to do at that formative time in my career? No. I mean, I thought I, thought I was going to be a head neck surgeon at that time, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, it's just, you, you got to follow your passion. And maybe your passion leads you to a place that eventually you realize is not your passion anymore. But, you know, it goes to the bigger question of our lives. Like, what's, what kind of, what is our life about, right? And if you don't have some sense of getting up in the morning and and, you know, I don't want to give the misinterpretation, like you don't wake up every morning with this passion, right? <laughs> you wake up in the morning, my back is hurting, <laughs> I'm achy, I wish I had a couple more hours of sleep. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're choosing to do something that you're going to be in for a while. And you want to be excited by the notion that you have more to learn or that you can put your thumbprint on something and make it better or you know, whatever it is, you know, this is, this is a big deal. And the beauty of medicine is, let's say you over time don't like it anymore. 
I mean, it's a hard decision to make, but you can do an about face and do something different. There's a lot mm-hmm. of translatability to other areas within medicine. In other words, medicine is not the end of the road if you decide you want to do something different. Yeah, and that applies, I think, to anybody in any walk of life. Uh, Guy, is there any, um, uh, what in, in your career, what changes do you foresee in one, three, five, ten years from now? Now, <laughs> keep in mind. How about in the I'm last not- month? <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, yeah. uh, you know, a few months ago when you were uh, pre-coronavirus, yeah. how is that? Um, how is that different than what you th- expect or foresee in the future? In, maybe not even the coming months, years from now. It's such a kindly question. I, I, I just, I've never, you know, I, I've never seen such rapid transformation in such a short amount of time. So, you know, here in New York, there's just been a rapid transformation in terms of how we're changing the way we're treating a new clinical entity. I mean, I don't remember a time where a clinical entity was brought on us and then our way of treating it was defined in real time. Uh, do you? Yeah. I mean, I it's no. just like, yeah, it's just like Every day, every week, it's like a new thing we're learning and we're in real time developing models for how we're going to deal with it. You know, the biggest eye opener for me at this point is if you have a jack of all trades mentality, in other words, if you're not too fixed in the way you do something, and this is obviously going to be limited depending on what you do. I mean, if you're an anesthesiologist doing elective elective cases, it's out of your control, right? But Mm -hmm. in in what I do, not everything that I do is surgical. And so the non-surgical aspects of what I do right now, I can continue to do. I'm very fortunate Mm -hmm. in that respect. And, you know, you don't realize what the diversity of skill sets you have are until something comes under threat, whether, you know, you're disabled and God, God, thank God, I, I've not had to, you know, go through that. Yes. Um, but, you know, life throws a lot of curveballs at you. And when you set up your sort of interests and your skill sets, what this situation has sort of brought to the forefront for me is, you know, I don't know how long we're going to be in a situation where a shutdown persists. And it's really been satisfying to be able to offer something beyond just taking someone in for an elective case, because that's on hold for an indefinite period of time right now. And the second thing is, Mm -hmm. yeah, and the second thing is, you know, telehealth is very likely here to stay. It's going to transform the way we engage with our patients. What for better or for worse, I don't know. I mean, I have my own thoughts on that. We can get into that for a while, but, you know, that's going to be, you know, that's like going into mock speed in terms of changes. Like one day we didn't have telehealth and then we woke up the next day and we had it offered for our patients. And, yeah. you know, it's going to transform the way we, um, we deliver our care and, you know, we'll see how this evolves, but I don't think you can easily shut the spigot off once that got opened up. Uh, are are there any parting thoughts you have, Guy, for a student interested in your career? The only thing I would say is keep an open mind. Uh, always have a beginner's 
uh, mindset towards how you look at things. Um, and I think those two virtues and also be willing to work hard for whatever end you pursue. And I think those three distinctive traits will serve you well with whatever you pursue. Guy, thank you so much. It's been Rich, awesome it to have you pleasure. on. Some deep thoughts here, man. We went deep. Rich, you're doing a great <laughs> job as a, as a newbie in terms of the podcast space. I'm trying. You, you I'm were trying. a great interviewer. I really appreciate your time. So that was Dr. Guy Lin, a ENT physician, ear, nose, and throat doctor, or otherwise known as an otolaryngologist. So he was just great to have on this episode. Just so happy to have him. A good friend as well. Our next episode, we're going to dive into the dental world. That's right. We're going to get a dentist finally on one of our episodes here. Uh, specifically, an orthodontist. And we're going to be talking more than just braces, of course. <laughs> so I hope you'll be able to tune in for that episode, which is next week. Until then, be healthy, be safe. And if things are looking a little down for you, I believe it's going to turn around. Just keep that positive attitude. That's just the first step. You'll find a way. I appreciate you all. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Health Careers with Dr. Martin. If you want to find out more about me or about the podcast, please go to healthcareerswithdrmartin.com or hcwithdrmarn.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will tune in again.